They don't have cars, much less BMWs, but they've got heart, and they give it to the Lord. And they are so glad that they can now gather together in freedom and worship God. And they're so happy that they have three sermons a day. <laughs> I was real surprised. No one had, had told me about this before I sat down. Um, I, I knew that I was in a strange place and I was dependent upon my translator to kind of watch what was going on. Well, the pastor, after certain uh, things in the service had taken place, stood up and he began speaking and I'm listening and pretty soon it became evident to me that he was preaching a sermon. He went on for 20, 25 minutes and now I'm sitting there thinking, has there been a misunderstanding? Am I not supposed to preach a sermon? I, actually, I asked my translator about that. I said, now, am I supposed to preach or just give greetings? And he said, oh, no, no, you, you preach next. <laughs> okay. And so I gave him another 30, 35 minute sermon and I said, well, boy, that's really something. They got both barrels today. And I sat down and they had a visiting Baptist pastor and he came up and preached another sermon. They're not at all like us in that way. And I don't say this to make you feel guilty, but you know, we worry about the roast that is burning in the oven. And that, boy, the pastor's gone a few minutes over today. They come together because they thank God they have the freedom to worship and they're gonna take advantage of that. And they sing beautifully because they sing with all their heart and they wanna hear the word. Well, I'm preaching the word. I preach to them saying, all may appear that we are foreign to one another, we are really not foreigners to each other because since you serve the Lord Jesus Christ as your ultimate sovereign, and I do too, we are really members of the same country, the country of heaven. And I've come to you as a fellow citizen to exhort you and encourage you and to hopefully build you up that you might take opportunity now that there is freedom in your land to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of life and to follow him fully. I suggested that if they did not seize the opportunity to see their society reformed and their political order reformed according to the teaching of the Bible, that even though they had gotten rid of the demon of Bolshevism, if they did not turn to Christ, seven demons worse than the first would now come in and take its place. And so I said, take this opportunity Declare the crown rights of Jesus Christ. Live faithfully and apply your Christianity in all areas of life. Well, when I got finished, you can imagine one of the first things I heard is, did they understand any of this? Not just did my translator know the words and so forth, but I mean, is this the kind of sermon they're used to hearing? Would they be able to comprehend this? And when the pastor asked for prayer in the congregation later, you can imagine how it just rejoiced my heart when a man stood up and he prayed and in his prayer gave back the outline of my sermon almost verbatim. They pay attention too. It's a great privilege, a great privilege to preach to these people. When I, um, at, toward the end of the service, the pastor came up and he said to me in, uh, in broken English, he said, uh, uh, Dr. Bonson, now that we have heard you preach, we eagerly anticipate your second coming. <laughs> yeah, at first, that kind of, you know, shocked me because you know what that connotation is in terms of our nomenclature. But then I thought for a minute, well, what he meant is when I come again, okay. And he asked for some young ladies in the congregation to bring some flowers. The only gift they could make for my preaching 
but it may be more precious than any of the paychecks. I know that first day out was so wonderful and so glorious. I said, I'm going to go home lest anything else go wrong, you know. How can it be any better than that? And in one sense, I was, um, I was right in my fears because the next time that I spoke, Tuesday the 18th of May, it was at the International Conference on Religious Liberty. This Conference on Religious Liberty, ironically, was being held in the former Communist Youth Building, where the young people in Moscow had been taught communism and atheism. And now this building is the location for this conference where people from all over the world, and especially in the former Soviet Union, were coming to talk about how they could enjoy religious liberty. This is a brand new thing to them. The first day that we were there, which was two days before my speaking, we listened to three or four lectures, and then we were invited to a banquet table. And in the lectures that we heard, it became very evident to me what a sad situation this was. The people who had come to this conference represented the Roman Catholic Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, Lutherans, Seventh-day Adventists, Muslims, Hindus, and any number of other cults and false religions. And the lecturers made it very clear that the way in which everybody would respect the views, the beliefs, the practices of others, the way in which there'd be freedom of religion in Russia is by all of us acknowledging that nobody knows about the mystical, nobody knows about the mysterious, that no one can know for sure or be absolute about religious truth, and therefore we have to respect one another. Moreover, because the government would not interfere in religion and the government would be secular and not favor any religious perspective over any other, then we could enjoy liberty of religion. When the time came for us to sit down at the banquet table, or actually to come up to the, and stand at the banquet table and eat, which was an unusual arrangement anyway, but when that time came, I told those who were with us, I can't eat at this table. And they agreed they couldn't either. I said, this is the table, and we will not show that we have fellowship with this. As we left and thought about my coming back and lecturing and what I was planning to say, we realized that we were not going to be well received that what we had to say was not what the people running this conference wanted to hear. And the suggestion was even made, not, not in a compromising way, but just in a sense of using our time efficiently, do we even want to go back? And as I thought about it, I said, yes, I do want to go back because the Lord Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven and I want to glorify him. If they don't receive what we have to say, so be it, but he will receive the glory. So two days later, I went back, and that morning I was scheduled to speak. My translator was really nervous because he knew it was going to be tough. So we have a full auditorium. We have people up on the platform that are running this program. The woman who is running it is from the Supreme Soviet. And as I come up to speak, I tried to explain to them, tried to found religious liberty in Russia on relativism the idea that no one knows for sure and everybody defines their own reality, that in fact they would destroy religious liberty in Russia. They would get the very opposite of what they thought. And I explained Hitler could define his own reality as well. If you're going to be relativistic, you have to allow for Hitler and for the Satanist and all the rest as well. And then you will have the persecution of the Jews and other groups because everybody's defining their own reality. 
I said the only way that you can enjoy religious liberty here in Russia is if you recognize the crown rights of Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And now the Hindus and the Muslims are getting very unhappy. I went on to say the reason why you can pretend to respect each other and that we can all get along is because you don't invite to your conference the Branch Davidians and the Satanists and the warriors of Kali and all the rest who will not get along with everybody else. They're not welcome at our party. And then I talked about the long, terrible history of persecution among so many Christian groups. I began, I, I was hoping this would be uh, heard, I'm not sure that it was, I began with Protestant sins, you know, here in America. I went on to talk about a number of religious groups, in particular the Russian Orthodox Church, persecuting the old believers and killing them because they wouldn't genuflect with um, two fingers rather than three. And I said, you cannot have religious liberty if you exclude all the people who do these sorts of things. And about that time, uh, the woman who was in charge called out, Dr. Bonson, your time is up. And so I didn't look at her, I looked at my notes and kept going. I figured I had not come all the way from Southern California to have some feminist communist woman tell me I couldn't keep speaking. <laughs> so I finished my lecture and I sat down. <laughs> and I kid you not, when I sat down, the people who were with me, they leaned over and they said, <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think we should, but let's wait till the coffee break so it's not real conspicuous. We were right in the front row. And I'm glad we didn't go immediately because uh, two speakers down the line right before the coffee break turned out to be a Russian Orthodox priest. And when he stood up, he said, I don't share the optimism of the people who have come to this conference. And I'm, I'm thinking, boy, I, what's he upset about? What, what's this going to be? And he said, if religious liberty in Russia is going to mean that Satanists and Branch Davidians and all the rest can come in, then I won't sign anything that's coming out of this conference. And he went on to really excoriate these people about the need for truth and religion and so forth. And he even cited the scriptures, which is very amazing for a Russian Orthodox priest, for reasons that might become evident later. And he told us that about, there is no fellowship between light and darkness. And so when he finished his words, we had to meet each other. And when I uh, introduced myself, and he gave me his name. He said, Dr. Bonson, we are not accustomed to foreign Protestants coming and speaking with principle like you did. As he said that, I thought about that ride in the van two days before when we asked, should we even come back? Praise God that we did, and we had that opportunity. But you need to know, not only do we have you know, that wonderful contact with this man that comes from this and the opportunity to praise Jesus, but the direction of that conference tells you the direction of Russian society and how bad the situation is. Also on the 18th of May, I spoke in the evening at the Moscow City Council building to a group that calls itself Ratio, probably an English translation, Mind or Intelligence and um, many members of the Moscow City Council, entrepreneurs and scientists get together on a regular basis to talk about the revitalization of Russia. How can we help things along? What do we need to do? And so I wanted to address them and I, I spoke that evening about the need for revival in Russia, 
the need to recognize that Jesus is the King of Kings and there is a higher law, and that therefore the government in Moscow, the government in Russia, needs to be a limited government, a government that allows for a free market, that has honest money, that has a lack of uh, corruption among its government officials, that does not sponsor or tolerate libertinism in terms of family values and sexuality and so forth. And I believe the lecture was very well received because one of the Moscow City Council members stood up during the question and answer period and he asked me, Dr. Bonson, would you please read your lecture to Boris Yeltsin? And I smiled and I said, can you get me an audience? <laughs> he couldn't, but the fact that he was happy that I had come and said that was, uh, of course, very pleasing and encouraged me to uh, continue to witness openly about the Lord Jesus Christ. Settings that would not have expected that. A questioner during that time also stood up and embarrassed me, however, not because of anything I had done in particular, but he had read my um, the pamphlet that was put together and translated into Russian. Um, and that was distributed, one of the reasons why they had come. And he said, I notice in this pamphlet that you've written a book on homosexuality. He said, would you explain to me why you did that? And there I was in the awkward position, again, the ugly American, having to explain that, believe it or not, in our country there are people who think homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle and not a perversion. And that even churchmen in our country will tell people that they shouldn't feel condemned or are ethically put down by their homosexuality. And I said, it so bothered me that, that men who claim the name of Christ would say that, that I finally wrote a book trying to refute that uh, misunderstanding of the scriptures. And again, he just, uh, he found it that we live in a nation that could tolerate that kind of thing. I tell you this because Though there are many problems in Russia, and I don't know this man's religious convictions or, you know, how heretical he might be in theology or not, but we must not become jaded to the sins of our society. We must not, because we see it in the evening news and read about it week by week by week, think, well, that we just have to take this for granted. Others, those who don't have our privileges, don't have our Christian history and so forth, others look at us and say, why do you have to write a book against homosexuality? It seems impossible to them. And sadly, that's what's happening to us. On Wednesday, the 19th of May, I spoke at the State Humanities Academy of Russia, one of the largest liberal arts uh, schools there in Moscow. And... Um, I got a real uh, taste of the disorganization of Russian society because I had been told what my lecture was going to be and I took my notes from my hotel room and, and went dutifully prepared to give this lecture. And as we're walking through this huge college uh, uh, auditorium in the halls leading to the uh, lecture room, I saw that they had put up posters about my uh, being there, and I asked the translator to tell me what they said. And to my horror, as I'm walking to the lecture hall, I find out that they've announced a different lecture altogether than what I brought with me. And so I, I went to the people who were kind of managing my time and so forth, and I said, I was told that I was the lecturer on this. The posters are saying something else. And they said, oh yeah, well, they made the switch at the last minute. That's what you have to get used to in Russian society. 
So I got used to it in Russian society, and I went ahead and gave the other lecture <laughs> by memory. I'm glad I knew something of my material anyway. It seemed to go fairly well. At the end of the lecture, by the way, what I spoke on there was high government. Again, the, the point that if Jesus rules over all, then we cannot have a huge government that tries to uh, dominate every area of life. Well, at the end of the lecture, then the professor gave the students the opportunity to choose what I would lecture on next time, since I had this extra lecture now, right? And so I had proposed that I speak on the irrationality of atheism. And there were a couple of other, I forget what the other title or titles that were uh, put before them were. And um, this will tell you something about 70 years of communist oppression. They were genuinely surprised at the title, The Irrationality of Atheism. Because in translation, again, I don't know Russian, but apparently, as my translator is trying to say this, the problem is the word rationality or rationalism is virtually synonymous with atheism. I mean, they don't have the exact same denotation, but the connotation is very similar. So that when I was going to speak on the irrationality of atheism, that sounded almost like a contradiction. And so they were fascinated by that. And that opened the door to this wonderful opportunity to go back for me to proclaim to them that atheism actually destroys human rationality, would destroy the university and the possibility of knowing anything at all. As I'm giving this lecture, and here you have these Russian young people being challenged by that, I had to think about how difficult it is to get this message out in my country. And so many people, you see, would resist that, and even people in the Christian church would say, that's really too strong a thesis, you don't want to argue that, that, that really, unbelievers and believers, they stand on a common foundation and can know things, and it's just that... The unbeliever hasn't looked at the evidence well enough to know that Jesus rose from the dead and that there's some evidence that there's a God and so forth. So I'm glad that I could plant that seed of presuppositional apologetics there in Moscow so that people might begin to think in terms of worldviews and whole systems and not just piecemeal about Christianity. On the morning of Thursday, May 20th, I was invited to um, speak to the Union of Evangelical Christians um, at their headquarters, and this is a good point, I guess, to explain that an evangelical in Russia, uh, well, Baptists are evangelicals, and the Baptist rubric is to cover just about anything that's evangelical, even if you're Presbyterian or whatever it might be. But nevertheless, uh, here in the Baptist headquarters, uh, I came and spoke to the staff, to the pastors that were there, as well as to the cleaning women, and all the rest, and I preached to them about the liberating effects of Jesus Christ and his saving rule in our hearts. And then the leader, the president of the Baptist in all of Russia, asked me to lead them in prayer. In their time, um, a few other people prayed after I did as well. And this will be surprising, I think, to you. It really shocked me. After I got done praying and the others, and we stood on your knees when you pray, the pastor gave me the right hand of fellowship, and he said, Dr. Bonson, now that I've heard you pray, I know that we are brothers. As the other people left and we sat down for a little private powwow and discussion, he explained to me that many Protestants had come and had been there in his office, and he said, they don't even believe the Bible, Dr. Bonson. They don't believe the story of Jonah and the whale. 
and on and on. And you know, the thing that just choked me up is I, I thought to myself, why do they not have the maturity and the understanding to find out about their speakers before they pray? But then you see how significant it was when he gives me the right hand of fellowship. He said, I've heard you pray. We do worship Jesus, the same Jesus, and so forth. I exhorted him as kindly and with as much affection as I could that he must screen his people away from these heretical ideas that come in, that he doesn't have to be a host to, know, to those things which would tear down their... And he asked me, what educational materials can you provide for us? It's a wonderful opportunity. I had an interview with the editor of the Old Believers magazine. Let me say something about the Old Believers for a moment here. Christianity was introduced into Russia in the year 988 with the baptism of, uh, uh, who was it, Prince, I have it written down here, hold on just a second. Oh, it was Vladimir. I was thinking of my tour guide here. He also was Vladimir. Anyway, Prince Vladimir was baptized and the Eastern Orthodox Church was introduced into Russia. And then in the 1400s, it became a, a separate and sovereign church, autocephalous church, the Russian Orthodox Church. Also in the 1400s, the particular patriarch that they had, Nikon, introduced liturgical reforms. One was that people would now genuflect or cross themselves, not with three fingers and two, and two fingers up, but now with two fingers. And when those who resisted that reform and called themselves old believers would not go along with him, they were executed and persecuted. And they formed separate communities, and they have maintained with pride their separate identity through all these years. And so here I am having an interview with the editor of the Old Believers magazine, Alexander. And it turns out Alexander has a PhD in philosophy. I have a PhD in philosophy. What'd you do your dissertation on? Alexander won't tell me. He said, what'd you do yours on? I explained, I said, but what, what was the topic of your dissertation? You have to understand, this is what PhD guys do, you know, they, what'd you write on? What'd I write on? And so forth. And then it was explained to me by one of the Russians who spoke English. He said, Alexander is embarrassed to tell you what he wrote. I said, why? He said, because he couldn't write on a religious subject. Isn't that amazing? Here's the man. He hadn't done anything wrong, really, but he was embarrassed that he had given his life to studying and writing a dissertation and, and being called doctor, but he couldn't do it in an area that was closest to his heart, religion. So we talked about the old believers and about their worship, and he said, I want to explain to you why it is so important that we have a separate identity. And I will not, because the time is late, go through all the symbolism of the three fingers and the two and so forth. But when he got done with that, he wondered if I understood. And I said, Alexander, I think I understand your position. I said, I have some difficulties with using the sign of the cross, but let me explain to you what you have told me. So I gave back to him what the rationale for their resistance was and, and what the symbolism of their genuflecting was all about. And I could see him just brightening up his face. He became so happy. I got done. He said through the translator, he says, almost you are an old believer. 
I said, no, Alexandra, but I do try to understand what people are saying. And then we got into a discussion of why this would be important. He said, because this is the history of the church. This is what the apostles have handed down to us. And I said, well, not everybody would agree that that is historically correct. I said, isn't it important that we go back and study what the apostles themselves said rather than listening to the tradition of the church? And he looked at me and he said, through his translator, just what a Protestant would say. <laughs> I said, yes. And he, he did an interesting thing. He tried to illustrate for me why it was good for them to follow the tradition of the church. And he, he put a book down in front of me and he said, this is the foundation of the apostles. And then he put two or three other books up there and they were all lined up nicely. And he said, as the church, its tradition is based on the apostles then we should follow it as well to do so as apostolic. And so I smiled, not to be outdone in terms of uh, illustrations. I took the top book and I pushed it a kilter and I said, but what if one of the levels of church tradition is not plumb with the apostles? He said, but it is. And I said, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I want to ask you, what would you say if we could show that what church tradition said is not plumb with the apostles? He said, well, then it would not be authoritative. And then I smiled and I said, almost you are a Protestant. <laughs> and I really think Alexander appreciated the humor. There was a real warmth about that. And when we got done, he said, may I publish some of your materials in our magazine? A foreign Protestant being published in the Old Believers magazine. You don't know how significant that is. When we walked outside and got in our van, those who were with me reminded me, they said, you don't know what a compliment that is. They don't trust anybody. They don't trust me, and he wants to publish your material. The next day, I had an audience with Father John, who was the synodical head of education for the Russian Orthodox Church. And I'm told that this is quite a privilege to be given half hour with him. He is a very important man, one of the top four or five officials in the church. And um, he asked me why I'd come to Russia and what my ministry was all about. And after he had done that polite thing, then he explained to me what his ministry was all about and what they were trying to accomplish. When he got to the end of his explanation of the work of education and reform um, before them in Russia, he went on to talk to me about what he called the Protestant problem in Russia. And he talked about how Protestants had um, insulted the Russian Orthodox Church, suggesting there was no Christianity in Russia prior to their coming, and the way that they had been rude and any number of things which really made me feel very small and unhappy and I'm not sure exactly why he brought it up or what he expected, but when he got done, I said, Father John, all I can tell you is that I apologize for my Protestant brothers. We have no right to be ungracious as we are proclaiming the grace of Jesus Christ. And he was, I think, shocked at that. I said, let me explain to you why my Protestant brothers get so excited and sometimes ride roughshod over people. They really want people to have the Word of God in their hand. And they love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they want others to come to know him as well. And that's why they do these things. And I said, don't you want them to have the Word of God and to love Jesus? And what's he going to say? He said, well, of course I do. 
I went from there to speak with his editor, the editor now of the Russian Orthodox Journal. And after a half-hour interview with him, he asked, Dr. Bonson, could we publish your material in our journal? I'm not telling you this because these are just so many brownie points for Dr. Bonson. The amazing thing is the day before, the old believers who are persecuted by the Russian Orthodox wished to publish my material. And now I have an invitation from the Russian Orthodox editor to have my material published as well. And so we have the evangelicals, the old believers in the Russian Orthodox, who are all asking me to send them material to be published. And again, it has nothing to do with me. I'm not important at all here. But what God has done in that the evangelical message of the cross, the, the reformed faith, which has never been in Russia, is now being welcomed by all three branches of the Christian church there and they're looking for it to be published. Just amazing. On Thursday, the 20th of May, I went to the Russian Orthodox University there to give a lecture on the problem of evil, Dostoevsky's problem of evil. I had to begin my lecture without the dean of the university being present. He was supposed to be there to introduce, or introduce me, and I gave my lecture. And in the middle of it, the dean arrived. Now, at the end of my lecture, I talked about how the fact that there is suffering and evil in the world is not an argument against the existence of God. At the end of my lecture, there was a nice young lady in the front row who asked a very telling question. She said, Dr. Bonson, I understand how the problem of evil cannot be used by unbelievers against us. My question is, what do we who are Christians say about the suffering that is here? Why does God put us through these evil things? Let's remember, she lives in a land where those who name the name of Christ had been persecuted, disappeared off streets, and so forth. I gave her a lengthy answer. I talked about the suffering in my own life and the sanctifying effect, or the opportunity for sanctification anyway, that is there when we suffer, and how we are to trust Jesus, who is a suffering Savior. She began to weep. comes up after I finish the question and answer period, and it's evident that he's not happy that I'm there. He came up, and his opening salvo was something to me about, Dr. Bonson, it sometimes appears that we've given a wonderful lecture, and then when the final exam comes, we realize our students did not understand. And I smiled. I under, you know, I've been a professor. I know that problem and so forth. But I'm thinking, where's this going? And so then he turned to the audience, and he said, how many of you learned anything new from this lecture today? And I realized, this guy's not happy that I'm around. Somebody in the audience said, uh, Professor, what are you expecting us to say? <laughs> and I thought to myself, yes. <laughs> There's somebody there saying, you're obviously setting us up for something. And then somebody else said, Professor, the point of this lecture was not to learn something new, but to take what we know and know how to defend it. Praise God. I thank my translator. He's doing a good job. They're getting this material, you know? <laughs> then he went on to up the ante. He said, how many of you sympathize with this foreign Protestant? Whoa. And the girl weeping on the front row put up her hand, and the rest of the class puts up their hand, with the exception of a few guys who weren't listening in the back row anyway. We're used to that in America. <laughs> well, after the lecture, I'm thinking, well, we're going to be shooed off the property, and that's it. 
Anyway, I had the opportunity to talk to this man, and it turned into a 45-minute hour discussion. And then he went on to tell me about the Protestant problem in Russia. And I'm wondering, why was I allowed to come to the university? Remember who I talked to the day before? Father John in the Synodical um, Department of Education for the Russian Orthodox Church? It turns out Father John had said, Dr. Bonson will speak even though you don't want him. Isn't that amazing? All these things going on behind the scenes we don't know about. But now this man who did the university, he tells me about the Protestant problem. He says, the problem with Protestants is you go out and you get people, you evangelize them, and you never nurture them, nothing ever comes to their lives. They just become Christians and that's the end. And again, he was taken back when I said, you know, you're right. I said, that's why I'm in the um, kind of ministry that I am in my country. Because I believe God's people need to be educated in the Word of God and built up. Protestants have been guilty of the very thing you're talking about. And now he was willing to talk to me. And again, the amazing thing, here's the man who was trying to publicly shame me when I got done with that discussion with this man. He said, Dr. Bonson, I'm glad you came to Russia. Just amazing. These are things which only a sovereign, all-powerful God can bring about. I know that I'm taking too much of your time going through these details, but bear with me as I tell you about one other encounter that I had. This one at the International Conference on the Humanization of the Military that was held at the conference ground Wednesday, May the 26th. At this conference, military leaders from all over the world were invited to come in to give advice to the Russians on how they could, one, privatize so many of the functions that the military once served, and two, how they could bring it about that their military would no longer be the tyrannical oppressive force that it had gained a reputation for being in Russia. And boy, it had gained that reputation. For the last half mile on the road to the deputies' conference ground, I see all these signs which are obviously intended to tell people, be careful, watch out, and so forth. I asked, what are these signs about? So these signs were there before the overthrow of the communist tyranny, and they threatened death to anybody who went down this road. What was at the end of the road? A conference ground. But a conference ground that was exclusively for the elite and the leaders in Russia. It was a beautiful place out in the Moscow forest. Just beautiful building. Nothing else that the people, the commoners in Moscow would enjoy. And upon pain of death, it was to be kept elite. Nevertheless, now this international conference, and they have military leaders from Russia and all over the nation there. I was the only one there in the crowd carrying a Bible. I got some funny looks about that. People said, what's this guy do, doing carrying a Bible? When the opportunity came for me to speak in one of their parallel sessions, I said that if the Russian people wish to get rid of this image of the military and the practice of, of, uh, of being so violent and beating up on their own people and, and being a terror, then uh, they need to make sure that they not only throw out Bolshevism, but they not turn to humanism as their philosophy of life, but rather turn to Christ and to the direction of his word. And I said, if the people in Russia throw out Bolshevism and then turn to humanism, they're like a man who divorces his wife for being ugly and then marrying her twin sister. So I turn them to the account in the Gospels where John the Baptist has Roman soldiers come to him 
and asked what they must do to show the works that are appropriate to repentance. And I said, this was the first international conference on the humanization of the military, right here. And then I preached to them about those works meet for repentance and how that the government must be seen as a servant rather than as an overlord and that people must serve for the sake of protecting their neighbors and not advancing a particular political party and so forth. Well, many of the people, including the Navy delegation from America that was sitting right next to me, must have thought, boy, this is a strange thing, a preacher coming in here talking to us about these things. But as I was leaving the building, an elderly gentleman came up to me. He had a cross on his tie. And he said, Dr. Bonson, I have been training cadets in the Russian military all my life. And I have been praying that whole time that somebody would come to our country, what you said today. I couldn't have set that up. That's beyond human ability. I don't know how God takes an obscure theologian from a very small and underfunded study center in Southern California and gets him all the way to Moscow so that the prayers of a man who all his life wanted Christianity presented to the military leaders of his nation would be heard. But he did. As I got ready to leave <clears throat> the last day that I was there, my translator, who was a wonderful man, a young man, 19, 20 years old, Gennady, said to me with tears in his eyes, Dr. Bonson, I've been a Christian for a little over two years, and I have learned more theology translating for you in two weeks than I've learned in two years. The opportunity to minister to this young man who was a leader in the charismatic church, the Rosa congregation in Moscow, is a great one as well. I have to be honest with you. As I reflect on all the wonderful things God did, in terms of the ministry and the preaching and the lectures and even the debating with people while I was there. It just seemed so wonderful. But I have to be honest with you, the day that I left Russia, I left with feelings I never want to come back because it is a very, very depressing and horrible place. And so if you are going to ask me this question, let me anticipate already an answer for you because it comes up every time I've talked to people about this. People will say, are you going to go back? And the answer is, I don't want to. But yes, probably I will. If the money is provided and the invitations are there, I can't forget the wonderful work that God did in two short weeks for a very small study center and an obscure person. Imagine what would happen if we would all pray daily and we would send missionaries and send the educational literature that is needed to these people. The window of opportunity, I believe, from a human standpoint, is a very small one. I think we need to be very concerned about this now. I don't say this because I'm already beginning a fundraising campaign for a return trip. I'm saying this because those of you who made it possible for me to go, I think you did so not because you wanted window dressing, not because you wanted just to have this nice little you know, flourish on my resume. You did it because you really believe the message that you hear in your pulpit and that we defend in this nation is the message that will liberate the people in Russia. Please pray for them. Please thank God for their testimony and their willingness to undergo persecution through all these years. Please pray now that the window of opportunity is there, that God will reform that land. Since I left Russia, 
many of you have heard, that the Parliament has passed a law saying that foreign religious workers, preachers, even diaconal, uh, people bringing diaconal help, cannot minister in Russia without the approval of the Russian Orthodox Church. Now, in one sense, I'm not too worried about that because I've got Father John on my side. I hope I can go back. But I do worry about that because that's not an appropriate thing to do. I'm not sure whether President Yeltsin has at this point signed that measure. I hope he has not. But that is just one of many that could be given if there were time, one of many indications that this window of opportunity may close very soon. And so please join with me in praying for our brothers and sisters in Russia and for the revival that, um, that I hope some seeds were planted for when I was there. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we come to you as the one who truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the sovereign who rules over all of history. Lord Jesus, we grieve for the fact that your name was belittled and your claims were rejected for so many years under this regime of communism in Russia. Lord Jesus, we know through all that time you yet were upon your throne, that you still were crowned with many crowns, and that you did have a plan for the people in the land of Russia. We thank you that communism has been overthrown in that land, and we do pray that seven demons worse than the first will not take its place, but rather during this opportunity, this time of transition, the people of Russia will recognize their need to bow the knee to you, to confess their sins, and to look to your saving power, to pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in their own lives, to give them the discipline that is lacking and the self-control and the love for neighbor that is needed, to look to you and to your holy word for the standards by which they should be governed, by which their civil institutions should be reformed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the faithful testimony of so many during these years of oppression. We thank you for the fact that they love you and they set a testimony before us. They give us a model that we could follow ourselves here in this land that has enjoyed for so many years the liberty to worship you, to study your word and to know you. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would build up the church in Russia. We do ask that those who are in the Russian Orthodox Church would turn away from their idolatry, from their icons, turn away from their mysticism, and they would embrace you in the truth of the gospel as it's found in your word. We do pray that there would come peace between the Russian Orthodox and the old believers, and that that peace would be established not on a foundation of relativism, but a firm confidence in the truth of your word and how it directs our lives. We do pray that you would prosper the evangelicals that are there, that you would give them a mighty voice, that people who have been oppressed, who have been depressed, people who have no hope would know that in you they can find salvation. Do bless the Baptists and others there who are proclaiming the gospel. We do ask that you would put an end to their persecution, put an end to uh, the way in which they are looked down upon. We do ask that they might be honored because they honor you. We do ask that the military would truly be humanized, humanized because it is first Christianized. 
I do thank you for those, even this man who for years has prayed that the gospel would be preached to the military. I do thank you that there are people like that in Russia. I do ask that you would raise up more and that you would honor their prayers for the sake of Jesus Christ and that you would heal their land. Lord, I want to give you thanks that you made it possible for me to go. You know that I'm not a foreign missionary. You know that the financial capability of our ministry is not great. And yet you have opened the doors and you have made it possible. I do ask that the planted would now be watered by others. I do pray that they would grow up powerfully unto righteousness that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would be honored. We do pray these things in his most blessed name. Amen.